Well, this has uh, been a, a trying week for our nation, but we are able to come here together and worship our Lord. Um, this, we're beginning a study this week on the law of God, and as much as we're hearing talks of, of law and order and all of these things, today we're reminded that ultimately our hope as believers is to delight in His law. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning for our call to worship. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Join with us now as we worship the Lord. You think about the freedom that is in Christ. Well, this morning we're going to begin a series talking about the bondage the bondage of sin and how we know people are in bondage. This past week as we have watched what has happened in our capital, as we have seen uh, close up the things that are dividing us as a nation, the, the thing that overwhelmingly comes to my mind is, are you aware of how many sins are being committed in the name of freedom? And what do I mean by that? Well, I'm not trying to be political this morning. But when you and I go back to God's Word and we begin to look at what God teaches us about what is sin, I hope and pray as we go through this series on the Ten Commandments, when you watch the TV, when you listen to the radio, begin to have discernment from God as to what you're listening to and as it is being delivered to you that you are able by God's Word to discern, is this sin or is this holiness? You see, without the law, we have only the government to declare what a law is. And that is where anything else we're seeing the struggle in our day is that we are seeing literally a struggle for power over our nation. We're seeing a, a, a way in which people are believing that they have the answers to solve all of our problems. And they are so convinced of that, whether we're a Democrat or Republican, that they believe if they have the power, they can structure our life in such a way that life is better. And let me tell you, that is a recipe for disaster. Because there is no man or woman who can lead our nation into the holiness that God had created us to have. And so as we turn in this series and we're beginning to look at the Ten Commandments, today I'm going to do an introduction to the Ten Commandments so that my prayer is that you'll begin to memorize them. I, I dare say that people, let me, let me just demonstrate how far we as a people have lost our consciousness of God's Word. Can anyone tell me what the Eighth Commandment is? Or the Third? Or the Fifth? And yet... It used to be in the days of old of our nation that people knew these commandments and they knew them such that it was ingrained in their hearts, whether they were Christians or not. 
They knew the law of God. And it informed how we lived. Never, never be elected to any office. You elect a person who was a dog catcher if he had had an affair. Or if she had an affair. If someone was caught in a lie, see them listened to once again in the public square. So as we begin, I'm not sure why my microphone's dropping in and out, but if you, uh, if you understand and begin this series, today we're going to do an overview, and then next Sunday we're going to talk about the purpose of the law, which is to reveal our sin, not someone else's sin, our sin. And then the next Sunday on the 24th, Logan's going to lead us in understanding the scripture's teaching concerning our obligation to the law as Christians, even though we're saved by grace, that we are forgiven, that we're set free, as Greg sang about this morning. There is still an obligation we have as Christians to understanding what purpose the law has in our life as Christians. And then as we go from there, we'll get into the... And my hope and my prayer is that you would begin to take so seriously these laws that you'll begin to think about your own life and how you're living for Christ in the days that we live and how you are living in such ways that you're honoring God. And so that's my hope and my prayer. This morning as we turn to Exodus 19, the chapter before the Ten Commandments are offered, I want to invite you to stand with me and let's hear God's word as we read together these short verses from the first, chapter, uh, first part of chapter 19. And on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called him or to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So... Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do what everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you, and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the people what the Lord had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits 
for the people around the mountain and tell them, be, care, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with an arrow. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live only when the ram's horn sounds as long a long blast may they approach the mountain. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn into your word and lean upon the Spirit to guide us in our thoughts, we pray that in these short minutes that we have, it's amazing to think about this. We're going to spend maybe 20 minutes talking about your word. And some of us are going to become anxious because we are so filled with living life that we, we have forgotten the source of our life, which is God. It is no wonder that Jesus said that we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And for that reason, bless our hearts that they might be open to your spirit this morning to teach and instruct and to lead us, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Charleston, South Carolina, but if you haven't, you need to be southernized. You need to go back to one of the richest cities when the colonies were first established, the 13 original colonies. Charleston was one of the richest places in the entire colony. In fact, there was more money in Charleston than there was in New York or any other city or port city throughout the colonies. It was a beautiful, beautiful place to come and taste the first place of America, and many people came to that region. But as that city grew and as it became an important prominent factor in the, the founding of our nation, one of the things that was very indicative was the importance of certain institutions that were carried over from Britain and the Western civilization. And so the, that, that institution that guided those people as they were settling the new land, they, they built buildings to house these important, important uh, authorities that were given to establish our nation. And you can go today where Meeting Street and Broad Street cross, and on that corner, on those four corners, are four buildings. The first is uh, St. Saint Michael. Church. The second is Charleston's County's courthouse, and then the third is the, the city's city hall, and finally you have a federal courthouse, which is also the federal post office. And so, on that particular historic city, were planted four buildings on these two roads that represent trade and commerce and social demands of the people. On these four corners were four different institutions that all dealt with the law. The first, of course, the church dealt with revealing the law of God. The second dealt with state law. The third dealt with city law. And the fourth dealt with federal law. Now, here's the question. Which is the most important? In that day, the law of God held sway in the minds of people. 
And so when people did business, when they, when they went around living their life, they looked to the Ten Commandments to guide them as to how they should live. Now, did they live faithfully to it? Not all the time. But never was a standard compromised. If someone was, uh, if someone was accused of charging too much for their services, they were called covetors. If someone lied about another person, they were, they were accused of being what? A liar. Bearing false witness. Wait a minute, where have I heard that for? Remember the, the Ten Commandments? You shall not bear false witness. Could you imagine us having a political uh, election where every candidate could not bear false witness against their neighbor? Could you imagine what that would be like? And yet, one of the things that you find is that this has been a problem throughout humanity, not just the United States. Why? Because the law reveals something about us. And there are many times we would not like to have those things revealed. We would rather think of ourselves as good people. We would like to think of ourselves as better than others. And what the law of God does is it does the most eviscerating ripping away of the facade of our lives and it begins to expose us for who we really are as we stand before the Lord. But why is this so important? Because you cannot know the gospel of Jesus Christ unless you know the law. I want to make that clear to you. You cannot appreciate, rejoice in, or live in the gospel without understanding the law of God. Because without first knowing the bad news, you cannot know the good news. You say, well, Robert, are you just going to preach bad, to bad news to me over the next couple of months? No, that's not my endeavor. My endeavor in this is that you first understand what God expects of us as humans and how we are condemned and enslaved to sin. And by the grace of Jesus Christ, God offers us the freedom we heard sung about this morning. The freedom of forgiveness. And that freedom is not a freedom to violate God's law. It's a freedom to love God and do what he commands. Whereas once we were slaves to sin, we are now slaves to God through Jesus Christ, as Paul puts it in the New Testament. And that's a paraphrase of his words. So how do we dig into this? Well, first I want you to remember that there are ten commandments, not ten suggestions. Um, today, we look at them as suggestions. Uh, we have removed them from our courthouses. We have done everything we can to sponge them from the public consciousness. Why have we done that as a people? Because the Ten Commandments are not pleasurable to study or read. They speak about the dark side of the human nature. They speak of the things that you would rather no one shine the light on. And so in light of that, as we deal with the Ten Commandments, I want to First, by asking, are you familiar with the structure that the Bible has as far as understanding God's Word? Because when the law of God is talked about, there would be some confusion as you read the Bible as to whether this is being talked about as the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was considered the Torah. It was called the law of God. And so in that law, in that word Torah, it doesn't mean some legal law, it means guidance. That these first five books are the guidance of God on how to live. And 
so as you, you would work through the Bible once you see the guidance of how to live. Then you come to the writings, which are like the Psalms and the Proverbs and others that speak of God in glowing terms of worship. And so as you read the Psalms, you're hearing what? A singing of the Torah, the, the guidance that God gives. And then you come to the prophets. Well, what were they? The prophets were simply the people who were calling people back to the Torah, to living by the guidance that God has given. And so as you, you work through the Bible, you see that these three sections of the Old Testament play a vital and important a vital and important part of God's story of redemption through the Old Testament that eventually led to the coming of Christ and the fulfillment that God had promised in the Old Testament that one day God would send someone who would make a sin offering and an atonement for all of our sins going all the way back to Genesis so that everyone who believed in God and believed His Word and repented and trusted in the Lord would be saved. It's a powerful story itself. But when you go further and look at this particular law that is given and how we singularly focus not on the Torah, but we begin to turn to Exodus 20, chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are, and in Deuteronomy, where the second telling of the law is given before they go into the promised land, you find that the is basically categorized into three different sections. You have what was called the moral law, which is what we will be studying over the next, next course of the Sundays. And so that moral law deals with what God expects of you and me morally as we live our life. And that's not, it's not negotiable. It's not something you can change. Interestingly enough, as I read a commentary, one of the commentaries that I thought was very intriguing said, one of the differences between the Hebrew law as God gives it and Western civilization law, the law that governs our land today, is that the law that governs our land, every law, whether it's city hall or the federal government, that these laws that are instituted are basically laws that tell us what are permissible and what is not permissible. That's what the law does. It tells you what you can and cannot do. Whereas the law of God tells us what the truth is, what is right and what is wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but that is what's happening in our country today. That our government is wanting to declare by its laws, what is right and wrong without acknowledging the corner of the square where God is represented and His Word is heard. And so if you remove God from the, from the four corners of our civilization, if you remove His Word from our, our lives, then how do we determine what is right and wrong? How do we determine that? You see, that's what's happened to our culture. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And let me tell you, God is not a fool. He has said he will judge evil for what it is. You know, there's been rumors that, uh, that our election was not a pure election, that there were, there were some people doing some illegal things. Let me tell you, they may never be caught. If it happened, it may, may never be caught. But if someone did that, they will be judged for it. God's judgment.
You may be doing something this morning and you think no one knows about it. No one sees it. No one cares. God does. And he sees it. And he will judge it. This is how his is right and wrong. And you say, well, Robert, that's just too black and white. Well, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm just giving you the message. Either God is true or he's not. And so when you look in the 20th chapter of Exodus, you find the moral law given. Then you look to the civil law in Exodus 21 through 24, and God gives the people of Israel that law that will govern how they treat each other. And it represents the moral law. In practical application. Then you turn to the next chapters following that, and it deals with the ceremonial laws. In other words, God has given certain ways that He was to be worshipped by the Jews. They were to offer certain sacrifices. They were to offer certain days of festivities and festivals. They were to remember certain things. And you ask the question, well, what about those laws? Are we still responsible for doing those? And the answer is no. Why? Because Christ fulfilled them. He became the atonement for us. He was the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. We don't need to offer another sacrifice. He was that pure atonement that covered all of our iniquities. And so we don't have to offer the Passover anymore. We don't do any of those, those ceremonial things. Why? Because Christ fulfilled them. We don't do the civil laws anymore. They do guide us as far as what we think about what is right and just and, and pure. But we are no longer a nation called Israel. We're a people called the people of God called the church. And so we are governed by the Spirit of God and we're governed not by that civil law we are governed by the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law. The first four telling us how to love God, and the first, the last six telling us how to love our neighbor. And so when you begin to go through this, you find some exciting things that God is going to be revealing to you. As you study God's Word, you're going to begin to see things where when we sing, He forgave me, you're going to really understand how God forgave you of certain sins. And you're going to be so much more appreciative of the grace of the cross. You're going to see in that cross where it says that God shed his blood for me and covered me with his blood. You're going to see how in the ceremonial law, when the sacrifice was offered, they would take the blood and they'd sprinkle it all over the people, covering them with the blood of the animal. Why? To show them the cost of sin, the penalty of sin that leads to death. And that when Jesus bled on the cross, his blood paid that in full for us. What the wrath of God we should receive, God placed upon his son for us and for our salvation. It's a powerful study. And so as you and I begin to go through it, we're going to see some things that are important. But particularly in chapter 19 this morning as we've read, here are some preliminary things you and I must begin to prepare our hearts in order to receive God's truth. Now, I don't know about you. I, I don't like to prepare. I just like to go. When, when we're going somewhere, let's say we're going to go out to Outback for supper. We, we decide that in three seconds. And I said, let's go to Outback. And everybody goes, okay. And then I get in the car and I wait there for three hours. <laughs> Why? Because the, the other parts of my family say, well, yeah, we want to go to Outback, but I've got to take a shower. I've got to change clothes. I've got to clean my room. I've got to feed the dog. I'm not concerned about that. I'm ready to go. Aren't you? 
Well, let me tell you, if you approach the Ten Commandments in that way, you'll miss the truth of God. If you go through these next 14 weeks and do not dedicate yourselves to memorizing the Ten Commandments, you're going to miss the blessing that God offers to His people. Why? Because this is God's Word. It is law. And it's meant to bring you life and prosperity. Now, most people don't think about that. Most people think today when a law is passed, it, it's a bad thing. I mean, let's face it. We go down the road and we see the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. And the first thought that goes through most people's minds is, well, that's for somebody else, not for me. You haven't prepared yourself to drive because a policeman, if he catches you, will remind you that the law is 55 miles an hour. It's his job. Why? He is God's agent to help us live prosperous, safe lives. Okay, with that said then, let's dig in very carefully to prepare ourselves for these Ten Commandments. First, please notice in chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, God had given these laws in a specific time and place. When we think of laws today, we think, well, the legislature passes them and the, and the courts uphold them. And so men and women create laws that govern our lives. Well, let me tell you something. These laws that we have been given by God were given by God in a specific time and place. They were given by God to his people, and it was under what was called a covenant, an agreement. If you will follow my word, I will bless you. And so these are not Moses' words. Notice how the text makes that so clear. If you go back and you look in chapter 19 and you read the first verse, in the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, where were they? why were they in Egypt? They were in slavery. Remember the story? God delivered them from their oppressors. God delivered them from slavery and brought them out of the land to himself. And the most important thing, it was on that very day, Three months later that they came to a mountain called Sinai in the desert of Sinai. And from there they stood before the Lord as he said to his people through Moses that he was going to do something. He was going to give them something that would mark them as a precious possession of his. And he was going to give them something that would constantly remind them how God delivered them from Egypt. They didn't fight their way out. They didn't solve their own problem. God did a miraculous intervention in their lives, and God did so to make them a precious possession for him. If you look in verse 3 through 4, he makes sure that he understands that that rescue that he gave them, if you look in verse 3, he tells us clearly, then went up to God and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob what you are to tell the people of Israel what what are you going to what are you what is it what is it you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself this is not only what God did for the Jews he did it for you when you were lost in your sins and enslaved to it this is the very thing that Christ did in the cross and so just as God rescued the people of Egypt from slavery, God has rescued you from the dominion of darkness. 
He goes on to say, not only has he given this law as a way of showing mercy to us, he has given it for a purpose. Look at verse 5 and 6. He goes on to say, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, what is that covenant? The covenant that he made with Abraham. Go back to chapter 12. And you read God giving a covenant to their forefather, Abraham, that I will bless you so that you will be a blessing, so that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. And it was a foretaste, a foreshadow of the work of Christ that was to come that would literally launched the gospel into the world and is now being proclaimed throughout the world and literally millions of people have come to faith in Christ and from every nation, tribe, and tongue and they have been fulfillment of what God has promised all the way back to Abraham. Isn't that glorious? That's why we support missions overseas. I, I know there are a lot of mission fields we have around here. But if we neglect thinking of a world mission that we're involved in, we neglect the gospel and the fulfillment of all that God promised Abraham. The most amazing thing is as you look at this preparation, the purpose of the law, what is its purpose? It is, it is simply to remind us that we were saved from our sins. So now God has called us to witness to Christ so others can be as well. Now please notice this. The law that God is about to give does not save them. The promise of God's covenant that he will be their God and forgive their sins and cleanse them and make them a precious possession because of their repentance and faith in him, this is what brings them into relationship with God, not obeying the law. You know why? Because they couldn't keep the law. This is why God offered them sacrifices so that when they did sin against him, they could come with the sacrifice and they could offer it to God saying, God, forgive me. And he would. Not only was the law given for a, in a time and a place and given because of God's mercy, not dependent upon their abilities, or given in a sense of a purpose, it was also given as a condition of obedience by faith. Now, I've already touched on that a little bit, but look at verse 7 and 8, and you'll see that so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And what happened? Verse 8, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, have you said that? Because if you haven't, then you're really not a Christian. You're just pretending. What do I mean? When we come to faith in Christ, we not only acknowledge our sins and repent of them, we say that we will become a disciple of Christ in such ways that whatever Jesus tells us to do, we will do. Everything you tell us to do, Lord, we will do. It's not about pleasing the pastor or the elders or the deacons or each other. It's about pleasing the Lord. And so when God has prepared these people to receive this, he's making it absolutely clear that this is an offer that God is extending right now. It's the kind of offer that the gospel gives to people. If you will repent and believe, here's the offer. You're going to take it? Here, 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 take it. But you, you must respond. So the people had to respond as well.
But notice they were to respond by faith. By faith. What does that mean? They were to believe God is true. And they're not going to believe in anyone else. No other idol, no other God, no other person. They were going to believe God and base their life on it. Notice that the other thing, that the reason the, the law was given was it was given through a mediator. And, and I see this as a foreshadowing of the giving of the forgiveness of God through Christ as a mediator. He is our mediator. He's our, our priest. He's the one through whom we go to the Father and we have access to God in this very moment. In the same way, when you go back and you look at how God gave the law, He didn't just come and show up. Why? Because, because God is holy. And if any man or woman would stand in the presence of God, they would perish because of the stain of sin in their life. God cannot tolerate sin. He will not allow it to continue. In fact, you could say that God's method of dealing with sin is he's out to stamp it completely from the face of the earth. He's out to get rid of it. He is out to burn it like chaff in a fire. It is to be completely removed from his creation. That's why when you read in the prophets of the Old Testament, you would hear these prophets falling on their face in terror, absolute terror, because they realized they had entered the presence of God, and it wasn't like God was a good old buddy. It is that He is holy, He is the Lord, He is God Almighty. And to be in front of Him was to risk your life, because you knew how far short you had fallen from what he had intended for your life. And so given through the mediator, God made sure the people understood that Moses was not speaking his own words. He was speaking God's words to them so that they could bear it. Look at verse 9. It says, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. You hear that? When you go on and you think about that role of the mediatorship, do you know the church is now the mediator for the world? You are that go-between, that person that God wants to use to bring people to Him? Because now Christ lives within you. And then finally this morning as we look at the law of God, the way in which we prepare our hearts is not only see it, it was given in a specific time and place, so it has historical importance. It was given out of God's mercy, not because the people were deserving it, that God loved them so much he chose to give it to them. He gave it to them for a purpose because they were going to be his own people who loved him and followed him. He gave them as a condition of obedience by faith and so that they would understand that the law was not going to pardon their sins. The law was going to reveal their sins, and that's why they needed God. It was given through a mediator so that they could receive it and study it and learn it without the fear of perishing before a holy God. Finally, they were given it for their prosperity. And we don't think of law in that way, do we? Notice in verse 10 through 13, God tells the Lord God said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready on the third day because on that day, the third day, let's see, how many days did it take to do 
just arise from the dead. Kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? On the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch it or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Not a hand is to be laid on him, whether man or animal. He shall be not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. What is that all about? Well, it's about the prosperity of the people that God gave them so, they might, so that they might live. And let me tell you, you cannot live a life that is blessed without boundaries. Do you hear me? You cannot live a life that is blessed and filled with God's gracious mercy and power without understanding that there are limits, limitations. No, that's a bad word. There are Blessed boundaries that God gives you to bring you prosperity. And so when God says, don't steal, what's the temptation? Well, I'm stealing to become more prosperous so I could have more. The only problem is that way of gaining more things does not honor God and it violates everything that God is and who He has made you to be. And when you and I steal, we don't actually prosper. We actually perish it's frightening isn't it we are perishing as a nation because we have forgotten the law of God perishing you're going to see more division in our day do you know why because there is no law or fear of God in the hearts of people any longer and the only hope we have is that people will hear the law of God and repent and turn and believe in Him. It's the only hope. The only hope. When you think of the Ten Commandments as we approach them, Jesus summarized them in this way. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. In that way, Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments, the first four. Can you tell me what the first four are? You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make the idols, right? You shall not take his name in vain. You are to remember. That's how you're to love God. The others don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet your neighbor's. Have I missed one? Ah. And there, in that word of honor your father and mother, not only speaks about just your mom and dad, but every authority God has given you are to honor. Let me tell you, I don't care who the President of the United States is, if you don't pray for them, if you don't actively help them by your prayers, you are sinning against God. Say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What if it was Hitler who was president? What does God say? Pray for 
Our gracious Father and our God, as we turn to you and we begin this study, we are so grateful. And as we prepare our hearts to receive the Ten Commandments, as we begin to learn why they are given so that they expose the, the dark, darkness of the human heart, we, we also want to be careful, Father, because we know as Christians that if this is your word, then there is an obligation you expect of us as Christians, those who have drunk deeply from the grace of the cross. And so in that, in that grace that we now have, that, that forgiveness that we now live in, that, that mercy that you have thrown into our lives through the cross of Christ, uh, teach us how, how we fulfill the law to show us Jesus, how it is that by our faith in Christ, we actually complete what was lacking when we could not keep the law. And we pray specifically as we go through the Ten Commandments that you would help us to have them written in our hearts by the Holy Spirit so that as we live our days, we would be mindful of your truth, what is right and what is wrong. And where we are wrong, we would quickly repent and turn from it. And where we are right, we would not think that somehow we accomplished anything because we're so good but because God is good and anything good in my life was made possible because of my faith in Jesus Christ and so if I resisted lying it wasn't because I'm such a moral person it's because it's because Jesus helped me to be truthful and for that reason bless our study that ultimately we might realize that any goodness that we would live in this life must come through Jesus Christ. We ask and we pray it in Christ's name. And the people of God said together,